0: Hi, Antioch Dallas, I am so glad to be able to bring the Word of God to you today. I love your church, love your staff and your leaders, and just wanna say thank you so much for having me. We are gonna be talking about the book of Acts, particularly Acts chapter seven. And Acts is full of the power of God be demonstrated through the church, and so I think there's a lot of lessons that we can learn. And if you think about it, Acts is where we see the first church, like who were they? How did they learn to follow God? What did that look like? And they had to learn a new normal in following God from what they did before in the Old Testament, right? Well, boy, are we in a day that we have to learn a new normal. I mean, you're tuning in to watch church. I mean, that is crazy. We have a new normal for our work, for school, for um, all kinds of things, shopping. I mean, everything is a little bit different. Marty and I have four adult daughters, three son-in-laws, and they have had to adapt to a new normal. Fortunately, they've all been able to keep their jobs, but they're having to do it at home. And my daughter Brooke and her husband Cameron are in medical school. And can you imagine the new normal doing medical school online? Because they can't go in. And Brooke did her rotation this semester in surgery. Can you imagine doing a surgery rotation in medical school online? Wow, that's a new normal. Well, also I think about my parents and they're in a wonderful retirement center and I'm so thankful for how they're being taken care of. But their normal used to be to go downstairs and have dinner with their friends and they do all kinds of social events there. But now they've had to stay in their apartment and we've not been able to go visit them and their food is taken up to them. But, They have, what their new normal is to see their friends, is the three o'clock wave. And what they do is they come out of their apartment at three o'clock and all their neighbors do, and they wave to them, and that's the three o'clock wave. Well, they got a little bored with that, and so they got creative, and because the men couldn't get their haircuts and the women hadn't got their hair colored or whatever they wanted, they decided that they would have the three o'clock bad hair day wave. I thought that was pretty funny and so proud of my parents for keeping their humor in this new normal that we are experiencing. Well, we are gonna look at Acts chapter seven and it's an amazing book to study, The church of our living God. I mean, they are new in finding out how do we follow Jesus? How do we form community? How do we do church and take care of each other's needs? And the power of God is displayed in miracles and signs and wonders, and it is an amazing book to study. And we're going to particularly be looking at Acts chapter 7. It's the longest chapter in the book of Acts, but it's where a very significant event took place it's where we meet the first christian martyr stephen and so we're going to look at the life of stephen today as a bit of a background the book of acts shows us that again the church was on fire they are loving each other they are meeting house to house they're sharing with those that are in need they're experiencing signs and wonders they are boldly proclaiming the good news of the resurrected Jesus. So things are really moving and powerful things are happening. But at the same time, the Jewish leaders are getting so angry. They're so angry with them that we see in Acts chapter 5, verse 40 that the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the Jewish people, called in the apostles. And the scripture tells us that they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore. Can you imagine? They're experiencing such life in Jesus personally and as a congregation and as a community, but the religious leaders are really trying to put pressure on them and say, don't speak boldly about this. Well, this is where we meet Stephen. And the first time we meet him, we see that he was one of the seven chosen to be a deacon And a deacon or a deaconess are servants in the house of God. And they serve the widows and the poor people in the congregation. And I like to say a good saying is to make sure that your servant's towel is bigger than your platform or bigger than your ego. Let's all make sure that we have a servant's tail on. And we see that in the life of Stephen, that he had a good reputation and he served the people. And we will see that Stephen had magnificent moments, but they were decided in the mundane. So it might've been mundane to serve the widows or to serve the poor, but it was the preparation for the miraculous that was displayed through his life. Well, we can be guilty sometimes of wanting to love big experiences, insta-famous. The bigger, the better, the more popular. And we we think that is what we want in life. And the culture really permeates that. But I wanna propose that faithfulness is always better than fireworks. The day-to-day is not usually flashy, but faithfulness produces results that last. I had the honor of hearing a man many years ago by the name of Dr. Rachunga Padaiti and I heard him share about his life and it just riveted me and when I think about faithfulness I often go back to this man's life story. What happened with him is in the early 1900s the tribe that he came from was called the Hamar people and the Hamar people were among the worst headhunters in the entire world. In fact they had killed over 500 tea plantation owners. So they were very, very much to be feared. Well during this time in the early 1900s there was a missionary by the name of Roberts. He was only 22 years old and he went over to India and shortly after he arrived he got a message from the chief of the Hamar people. Somehow this chief had heard something about God and he sent word to this missionary and said, "'Will you come teach me and the people about God?' Well, Roberts had to get permission from the military at the time to get permission to go to that village. And they said, we don't think you should go. We think it's a trick and they'll hurt you. But armed with nothing but his New Testament and a pass for five days, he went to the Hamar people. He shared the power of the gospel. And there were many who loved hearing the stories of Jesus. And one particular man was Dr. Pedite's dad and he spent all the time that he could out into the wee night hours listening to the stories of Jesus, learning how to ask God to forgive him, to come into his life, learning about the Holy Spirit, and he learned how to pray. And after those five days, many of the people in the village came to know Christ, but Roberts had to leave. Well, Dr. Poditti's father, Continue to tell people about the stories of Jesus. And then he also got a vision and he thought, if I can send my son to this village a couple of mountains away, to this school that I heard there were Christian missionaries teaching English, then my son can learn the English language, learn how to write, and he can translate the Bible in our native language. And so he sent Dr. Pedaiti two mountains away to go to that school. And Dr. Pedaiti as a young boy did that. And then he came over to the U.S. and went to college all the while during those years translating the New Testament into their native language. Well, it took many years, but finally, Dr. Padaiti finished that New Testament in his native language, was able to get the money, take the Bible back, and when he distributed it, his dad had won tens of thousands of people to Christ in villages all around that area. Not only that, Dr. Padaiti started a ministry of Bible distribution, and to date, he has distributed 100 million Bibles over the last 40 years. Isn't that incredible? Magnificent, but boy did it happen in the mundane. Just day to day, day to day, year by year, but look at the results. What's interesting about the story is Roberts never knew what happened. He often wondered over 20 years that he never heard word. Was those two years in India worth it? Did anything come to pass about sharing the gospel in that village for five days? He never knew, but Dr. Padhiti 20 years later found Roberts and was able to share with him the vast fruit that came out of those faithful five days in the two years he was in India. Isn't that incredible? Faithfulness is so much more powerful than the fireworks. I bet you haven't even heard of Dr. Padide. It was before Facebook or Instagram and many of the platforms that we communicate things today. But I think that we need to be careful or we will begin to believe then unless something is seen by man, it's not important. I think some of the most important, lasting, fruitful things are the things that are happening in the secret places. Well, Stephen began with faithfulness in the mundane, serving food to widows. Chapter 6 and 7 tells us as Stephen grew, it describes him with words like he was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. He was full of faith grace and power were on him he performed great wonders and signs among the people and we also know that he preached the word of god boldly because it was while he was preaching that the synagogue leaders again were angered about this preaching of the gospel they began to argue with stephen but the word of god tells us that they could not compete with the spirit that was coming out of stephen and that wisdom But that made them so angry. And so they got some men to come against Stephen and to lie about him and say that he was blaspheming God and Moses, the law, and the temple. Basically, they accused him of blaspheming anything that he could possibly blaspheme. And so that angered the Sanhedrin again. So he was pulled again before the Sanhedrin. And this is the same Sanhedrin that had crucified Jesus just those many months before. And so we knew that they were capable of killing Stephen. But Stephen went in before them boldly still. If you can imagine the scene, here's Stephen by himself amongst this huge crowd, the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin is said to be a Jewish council. It could be from 21 to 71 people. So we know that it was a large crowd of Jewish people that were angry at him. There was no jury, no attorney, there was no friends or anybody to process evidence. It was just accusations against him. But he was not scared. He did not shrink back. He continued to be bold. Have you heard stories of Christians being persecuted? Maybe in other lands? I think all of us have probably heard those stories. And maybe you're like me, where I've often contemplated since I came to Jesus, God, would I be able to stand and be bold in the midst of this kind of persecution? when? I first came to follow Jesus in my early 20s in college. Laura Seibert and I were really good friends and we used to read from Fox's Book of Martyrs. I don't know if you've heard of that book, but it's an amazing collection of stories of martyrdom across the Western world from the early days, from like the 1500s. I wanna share one story that I remember and I went back and read it again. It's a story of Latimer and Dr. Ridley. They were each imprisoned in the Tower of London for eight years prior to their execution for their faith. The prison guards there would continually harass them and mistreat them, but as they were there they just began to grow more in love with Jesus and more love was being distributed through them to the people and very gracious people would know about them. again after those eight years it was time for them to really go to the stakes for their faith and they were asked do you want to denounce christ and live and they said no we will not do that and so the historians say that the woman that came, the keeper's wife, came and fed them their last meal. And she was weeping as she served it to them because she had witnessed their love and their testimony and their intimacy they had with God and how much it was so gracious against uh, for the other people there. And... He says, um, Latimer says this to her, Though my breakfast in the morning will be somewhat sharp and painful, yet I, I am sure my supper in the evening will be most pleasant and sweet. The next morning, they were marched to the stakes to be burned. And it was noted among the historians that Dr. Ridley was like walking quickly, almost with a skip in his step, and was almost joyful. And Latimer had to step it up to keep up with his friend. They got to the stake, and they kissed it, and they embraced each other, and they prayed, and they worshiped for a few moments. And again, the person came to them and said, Will you renounce your faith in this Jesus and his teachings and live? Well, Dr. Ridley said to Latimer, do you want to answer them or do you want me? And he stepped up and he said, so long as there is breath in my body, I will never deny my Lord Jesus and his known truth. God's will be done in our lives. And they were martyred together in that space. It's so hard to imagine that kind of faith and perseverance. But Laura and I would read these stories because we were new in following Jesus and we just wanted to know, God, can you do something in us that we would be able to stand boldly in faithfulness to you no matter what happens? The scripture has much to say about this. Matthew 10.33 says, Whoever denies me before men, I also will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Revelations 2.10 says, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All those who live godly shall suffer persecution. None of us hopefully will have to endure what happened to Dr. Ridley and Latimer, but all of us deal with conflict or opposition and even persecution at times. There are times in all of our lives where we have to make the choice of obedience to Jesus or an easier route. And the Bible warns us that some kind of persecution will come as we follow Jesus. And are we ready? In recent years, it's become increasingly less popular to express our faith, whether it's at schools, in our jobs, online. The temptation is to shrink back, to be quiet, to not speak about the things of God or what God says about things. I lead Unbound, our anti-trafficking, human trafficking organization, and we are obviously faith-based through the church, and we are living for Jesus and and going out and stopping human trafficking and rescuing those that are caught in this, And, and we are just delighted that God would choose us to do that but other organizations or government agencies sometimes have been pushing against us because we're faith-based. And one organization came to one of our offices who does incredible work. They served 150 victims of human trafficking last year. They're incredible in what they're doing. All of our teams are so amazing. But this organization came and they said, we really didn't want to work with you guys. But we looked around and thought they're doing the best work. And so we had to overcome that you guys are Christians. Can you imagine? And it just kind of illustrates the climate out there. doesn't celebrate the followers of Jesus. But we have to be faithful and continue to do it. Acts 6 verse 15 says, All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked at Stephen, and they saw that his face was shining like the face of an angel. Clearly, Stephen was touched by God significantly. They could see it. You would think that would soften them, but it didn't. So he begins his defense in chapter seven. And like I said, it is the longest chapter, 60 verses, which just shows us that Stephen was ready to give a defense for the gospel. And we need to be ready also Verse 1, the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? He could have said yes, no, said something short, but he didn't. All that word, all that passion, all that love for God, I mean, he just started and it came out boldly because he was so entrenched in his love and his dedication and his faithfulness to Jesus. He is ready to give a defense, and it was a powerful one. His answers explode with the Word of God. So many quotes from the Old Testament. It just comes out of him. Obviously, he didn't have any notes, but it was so entrenched in the fabric of who he was, and so it came out. We should all be prepared to defend what we believe from the Word of God. 1 Timothy 3.15 tells us, "'But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. "'Always be ready. To give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that is within you. That hope is an earnest expectation of the goodness of God. And that we need to do this with gentleness and respect. Don't forget that part. With gentleness and respect. The New Living Translation says it this way. And if someone asks about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. So simple. Peter is admonishing the people in that day to be ready to give a defense for the gospel that was within them. The people were being persecuted, and he was saying, be ready to tell people and explain in reverence and honor and respect about the truths of the gospel. And we need to be ready to do the same. So the first lesson today out of Stephen's life from Acts chapter 7 was that he was able to stand in the day of adversity because he stood on the Word of God. The Word was deeply in him, and so it poured out of him when the test came. And it's obvious that Stephen walked with God every day, that he studied the scriptures, which take time, but they were in there so that it could come out of him. He was putting it in his heart. I like to say, have a set time and a set place with set tools to spend time with god and here at antioch we really try to encourage everyone to develop your own personal walk with jesus we find a lot of comfort in the body and with the fellowship of believers in our small group communities they are to sharpen us iron that sharpens iron but we won't always have our brothers and sisters around us but you will always have jesus and the holy spirit So when you can set a set time, like I have first thing in the morning, I wanna get up early before the rush of the day and the things that I need to do and have that set time to spend with God so that nothing gets interrupted. you may not be a morning person, it may be the evening, but I have that set time in the morning. And then I say a set place. I have a chair that I like to sit in, my set room. I have a beautiful window to look out in. It's a great place. But I didn't always have a beautiful space. But whatever you go to every day, it becomes your holy place and you will love it. It will become sacred, that set time and that set place. And then having the set tools. So for me, I have my Bible, I have a way to listen to worship, I have my journal so I can journal prayers. And you might say, okay, why do we have to worship? We don't have to, but the reason it's so important is because we're body, soul, and spirit, and our soul are emotions, and God made us that way. And when we worship God and I put it, my music on as loud as it'll go, put them on ear pods so I don't wake up everybody. But when I worship God, it just declares the bigness of God and my problems and stresses really start getting a lot smaller when I exalt God. And so that worship just brings us in the presence of God. And then I read his word and I just read it and then I stop and I say, God, what are you speaking to me? What do I obey? What can I share with other people? And then I journal my prayers over my family and the things that I'm praying about. So that is an important thing. Have a set time, set place, and set tools because that's what Stephen did. He put that word of God in him. He was abiding in God and he was able to stand in the day of adversity. And so when things become repeatable, it will become enjoyable. So as you give yourself to that set time set place and set tools you will find that it will be your sacred place and i can now say doing it for 37 years that this is the most enjoyable part of my day well putting the word of god is fire inside of our belly that'll help us stand but it's also warfare for us because things come against us like when fear would come against me about the kids like i would be afraid something's going to happen i'm like i'm just being bombarded that something terrible can happen i would go to the word of god and one of my favorite was isaiah 65 23 and it says i did not labor in vain or bear children for sudden destruction And I would say, God, I did not bear children for sudden destruction. God, you made them for destiny. You made them for purpose. God, your plans for them are good. And I would use the word of God that would speak truth over that fear so I can get out of it. Or if fear would come in at night, I bet everyone probably at some time or another, when you go and you lay down at bed, sometimes you can be bombarded with fear and it'll try to steal our sleep. In Psalms 4.8, it says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So the word of God is what is so important for us to put in. And it is what will combat the things that are coming against us. And Stephen was a great example of that. And just like Jesus, what did Jesus do when the tempter came? He used the word of God. So what is deeply embedded in us is what will come out of us in the time of trial. So put the word of God in, put prayer time and intimacy with God, and you will be able to get through any challenge. Well, in the next 53 verses of Acts chapter 7, Stephen gives a brief history of God's dealings with Israel. He starts out respectfully by saying, brothers and fathers, listen to me. And then he answers the charges of blaspheming God and Moses and the temple and the law. And he gives a very historical account from the word of God from the Old Testament that they were familiar with. The call of Abraham and his promises of land and people, the Abrahamic covenant. He goes through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He follows the incredible story of Joseph and how God used him to save Israel. And then he turns to show how Israel, the Jewish leaders, have always been stubborn and rejected God's messengers and his message. And then he goes on to say in verse 51, "'You stiff-necked people, "'your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. "'You are just like your ancestors. "'You always resist the Holy Spirit, Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute?" So he was bold. I just look at this and I'm like, wow, God, it just puts the fear of God in me because I I look at those accusations that he's coming against them and I'm like, am I stubborn? Are there times when I'm stubborn when God's trying to get my attention? Or where have I allowed my heart to be hardened? Because we can do that, right? We can let our own heart, even walking with God, get hardened. You know, even when I'm convicted of sin, am I sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Do I allow Him to convict me of sin or, or do I treat it like a gnat? And what I mean by that is, have you ever been outside and you know, those little gnats are kind of bothersome and you just, kind of, you just kind of wave them away, right? You don't just go after them like you would a snake. I mean, if it was a snake, you'd be like grabbing your hoe and going, I'm going after this, right, to kill it. But a gnat, we just kind of do that. Well, sometimes I think that we can treat sin that way. We're, we know we're doing wrong. We know we're disobeying the word of God, but we're like, ah, grace of God, grace of God. And we just don't really let that fear of God that makes us hate evil come into our lives so we can live the way God wants us to. Well, not Stephen. He lived boldly and just on fire for the Lord in obedience. And I, and I want us to be a people that will do that. I don't want to make excuses for my sin and disobedience. Well, Stephen was so clear on what he believed and he was so clear on being able to communicate it without fear of the consequences. Such a powerful lesson. In verse 54, when the members of the Sanhedrin heard his defense, they were furious. And the word of God says that he gnashed his teeth at him. I'm like, that is pretty fierce. I mean, like, you know, what does that look like? It's crazy. They were so mad at him. So, what was Stephen's? What did he do when he saw that anger and that vengeful attitude towards him? Stephen looked up to heaven. He wasn't even looking at their anger, he wasn't moved by their accusation. He looked up to the heavens. And it is amazing because it says he was full of the Spirit. He looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And then he says, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And at this, the scriptures say, they covered their ears and they yelled at the top of their voices. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city to be stoned. Stephen's sermon enraged this Jewish audience. They were so upset. They did not get convicted or repent from they're hearing the word of God. They were so angry at him, but Stephen is not moved by them. What a lesson to not be moved by all the voices in the world, but to have our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, to be so in with him that we're not moved by the fear and the anger and the anxiety in this world. Stephen is not moved by them. His focus is on Jesus and on heaven, and his hope was anchored in God alone. Stephen had already believed in Jesus. He already believed that Jesus was sitting at the right hand of God, but God allowed him to be pierced into the heavens and actually see it. His faith became his sight. Stephen's attention, again, was not on the anger and the clamor of this world, but on Jesus. So my second point, if you're taking notes, is don't be moved by the clamor of this world. Be moved by God alone. And that is going to take discipline. That's going to take abiding in God. That's going to take us reshifting when we feel that anxiety and go, God, I'm going to dial into you and be focused on you. What do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond in this day of anxiety? Because my eyes are on him like Stephen. And Stephen did not look to that crowd because there was no answer in that crowd for him. He doesn't even let it change his countenance, dictate his emotions, or orchestrate his response. Sure, it was loud, and they hated him, but he is not moved by them. His peace is intact. His gaze is on Jesus, and he is resolute. A huge lesson for us. Our world is hurting. There is so much turmoil and pain, injustice and chaos, and there's steps to be taken for us to have conversations and to bring healing and drastic changes that need to happen in our society, absolutely. But we will only keep our peace as we abide in Jesus. Interesting as you look at verse 56, So many times we are told in the scriptures that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. But in this passage, when Stephen is literally being stoned, martyred, being killed, the scriptures say that Jesus was standing at the right hand of God. And that is significant because Jesus' rightful position is to be sitting as our King of Kings. But even in the olden days, when the knights were out at war and they came in from a valiant battle, sometimes the king would stand up as those knights were coming in. It was a way to show honor for what they have sacrificed for him, the king, and his kingdom. And I believe that Jesus was standing up to honor the sacrifice of Stephen. It's just amazing. And then Stephen's final words, a prayer of forgiveness for his attackers, echoing the words of Jesus on the cross. Verse 59 says, While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And when he said this, he fell asleep. What a magnificent moment. Bold, resolute, declarer of truth standing in the midst of persecution and dying in honor to Jesus. How did he do that? How did he forgive when they were absolutely killing him in that moment? What he lived, what he preached about, and what he practiced is what came out of him and the trial of his faith. We have to practice the art of forgiveness now. We have to let go of offenses or we can never walk in the footsteps of Stephen when those big trials of life come and we won't be able to walk in the spirit if we're not walking in the spirit right now. I don't know what everyone's going through, what betrayals you've experienced or persecution, what pain has been inflicted or even repetitive, systemic pain and injustice you have suffered. Many people have experienced very, very difficult, difficult things, but I do know that forgiveness does not exonerate the perpetrator. It does not justify their behavior, but forgiveness is a gift from God for us to be free. And we can do it because Jesus paid the ultimate price for us to be forgiven so that we can forgive others as well. And I wanna be like Jesus. I want to be like Stephen. I want to forgive and not hold a grudge against my brother or my sister. I want to lift up others and not speak ill against them. But I have to practice that every single day. So lastly, the third lesson from the martyrdom of Stephen, if you're taking notes, one was stand in the day of adversity by standing on the word of God. Two, don't be moved by the clamor of this world, but be moved by God alone. And third, live a life of boldness share what God is doing in your life that is living loud and living bold Stephen is bold he doesn't hold back we need to know that this boldness about the gospel is not unique to Stephen alone but it's what is a mark on followers of Jesus we can look at many scriptures about that but I'll just refer to two Acts 4, 1 through 3, it says, See, the disciples were boldly proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. 2 Corinthians 3, 12 says, Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Boldness comes from Jesus. It's not a personality. It's what God is doing in us that will come out. The Greek word bold means candor in the face of opposition. Can we give a candid, clear, compassionate and compelling witness to our sins being forgiven in Jesus and how we've experienced it personally. Such boldness to proclaim his faith. The resolve of Stephen was immovable in the face of opposition. And this boldness was given to him by the same Holy Spirit that is inside you and me. There is a young Rwandan man in the 1980s. And he was forced into a confrontation with his tribe and they said, denounce this Jesus or you will die right here on the spot. And he would not renounce Jesus and he was martyred. Later, when the believers went into his room, they found these words he had written the night before. Such powerful, compelling words that still motivate me today. And I want to leave you With these words, let them just wash over you and let God build into us the church of the living God, a boldness that we will proclaim the good news of the gospel and not shrink back in these hours. Listen to his words that have inspired me for many years. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast. I have stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I am a disciple of his and I won't look back, let up or slow down, back away or be still. My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm done and finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tamed visions, mundane talking, cheap living and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence prosperity position promotions or popularity I don't have to be right or first or at the top I don't need to be recognized or praised or rewarded I live by faith I lean on his presence I walk by patience I'm lifted by prayer. I labor in the Holy Spirit's power. My face is set. My goal is heaven. My road may be narrow, my way rough, my companions may be few, but my guide is reliable and my mission is clear. I will not be bought compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, diluted, or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice or hesitate in the presence of the adversary. I will not negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I will not give up, shut up, let up until I have stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up and preached up for the cause of Jesus Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus. I must give until I drop, preach until I'll know, and work until he comes. And when he does come for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me. This stirs me, it motivates me. I respect his resolve his boldness in loving Jesus and knowing that his eyes are on the king of kings and he is worthy of our lives. He is worthy of our sacrifice. And the world's standard is not our standard, but the eternal one is. So Jesus, I just pray that we would be all that you want us to be. God, we surrender to the world system of trying to be popular and trying to be big and trying to be famous and trying to be on top. And we just say, no more of that, God. You be the king of my life. You come in and live and display your glory through me the way that gives you the most honor. If it is in the low places or if it's in the high places, have your way, O King of Kings. But God, use my life that others may come to know you. They may come to be, come who you've created them to be. We love you and we honor you. God, make the church of Antioch, Dallas a powerful lighthouse, a place of refuge, a place of healing, a place of deliverance, and a place where the people love and live boldly. In Jesus' name, amen.